This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, we're located in New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We've got a lot going on uh, overnight. Of course, uh, the weather continues to be a major issue. I don't have to tell you that if you're in the middle of it. And also, as you look around the world, the President of the United States got a big day. Uh, he's got his first summit, international summit. It's going to be a G7. First time everything's going to be virtual. He doesn't have to go anywhere. Spends a few hours. Then he's going to go out to Kalamazoo, Michigan and tell everyone, how much we need $1.9 trillion into our bloodstream, and then he'll come right back. So he's going to also see the Pfizer plant. we got to get that vaccine going, got to continue to have... We continue to have great news nobody's talking about, and that is the number of cases is going down, the number of hospitalizations is going down 30%, the number of deaths is down 35%. Overall cases is around 50%. I have no idea. We love reporting bad news, but why don't we talk about the cases, hospitalizations, and the death. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You continue to yell and let me know that I haven't seen uh, my his rap and his anger. It was all just part of a ploy in retrospect. And in order to pressure me and, and scare me into uh, issuing a statement. You believe this? Ron Kim, a Democrat from the city of New York. Talking about Governor Cuomo, which is why he got threatened because he wanted to tell the truth about the death of his uncle and about the deaths of those in nursing homes right when the pandemic hit and his decrees to put him there. Now the call is impeach Cuomo, the new battle cry in New York. The Emmy Award winning self-congratulating governor tries to bully his way out of controversy and it is blowing up in his face. Is this a pothole in his political career or the beginning of the end for the Trump nemesis? Number two. We have an agency called ERCOT that runs our grid. They drop the ball. It all goes back to our governor, Greg Abbott. He, you know, the buck stops with him. I would say so. That's Sid Miller, the agricultural commissioner. He was on Fox News at night last night. Texas, the lights are starting to come back on in much of that huge state. But many residents are still in extremely dire situations. A quarter of the state is under a boil water to due to frozen busted pipes. The problem is... Most people don't have water. People are running out of gas. Grocery store shelves are bare. And if that wasn't enough, changes to remain in Mexico policy go into effect today, meaning the border of Texas is going to be chaotic and full of possible pandemic scourges. Plus, uh, where's Ted Cruz? Number one. The inner squabbles are, are, are really less helpful. The reality is you look at Mitch McConnell and the president, they accomplished an enormous amount together. For them to work together would be much more constructive for the party moving forward. Yeah, Mark Short has done so much for the president, legislative aid, as well as being the chief of staff of the vice president, Pence. GOP divided. Donors and voters are voted are forced to pick between Trump and McConnell. Why the Republicans may be the losers and the Dems are simply loving it. It makes no sense. You see these controversial party first policies of Joe Biden. He might be the greatest guy in the world, but his policies are already terrible. Hear what he's doing with Iran? 
I'm open to talks again to put together the the 2015 JCPOA, which didn't get majority votes of Democrats and was an international bomb, right? Get the sanctions lifted already. That's what he's going to be talking about today. Well, listen, that's what he ran on. That's a disaster. The XL pipeline, his green energy push, his anti-American. It's against our national security. We know all that. But the GOP can't get their act together. And the president of the United States, not former president, not helping anything. He is extreme, extremely popular, by far the most popular uh, in the country because of what Mark Short just said. He's accomplished so much when he was there, despite creating a lot of controversy and potholes along the way, to use that same vernacular. And then Mitch McConnell came up, and after voting not to impeach President Trump, he ripped President Trump and actually invited criminal investigations. Ridiculous on both parts. So then Donald Trump, two-pager, ripping Mitch McConnell. He actually was convinced not to put in any comments about his multiple chins. Good move. Thanks, legislative aide uh, over in Mar-a-Lago. Good. Republicans got to not only save their party, they got to save the country. We could have legitimate debates. I mean, we are now debating in Chicago the same thing they're doing in San Francisco, taking George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison off of schools. They're trying to destroy our past and one of our greatest assets, energy independence. They're trying to kick that back to OPEC, Russia, and places like Saudi Arabia and, and Iran. It makes no sense. Meanwhile, the president of the United States still insisting that he won the election. He didn't. Trump was favored uh, Trump was favored to win re-election. The pandemic hit. Mail-in voting tilted, tilted the battlefield. I get it, 100%. He would have won without it. I understand it. But he's been unable to prove it. And since I understand, Rudy Giuliani's been fired. So we have major donors walking away from certain politicians. But for the most part, the GOP has a lot to run on. And in 2022, they got to take it back at least the House and have to defend 20 seats in the Senate. And it would help if the President of the United States reached out consistently to his former vice president, most loyal aide. You don't want to pick between Pence and Trump. Trump would be more popular. Pence is more respected within the party. Mark Short on the squabbling in between. Cut to. The inner squabbles are, are, are really less helpful. I think that where we should be focused today is recognizing that the Democrat policies of opening our borders but not opening our schools, of having taxpayers pay for more windmills in Texas, of proposing minimum wage hikes that CBO even estimates would kill one and a half to three and a half billion, I'm sorry, million jobs, is where we should be focused on our agenda. And that will bring our party back together. The reality is you look at Mitch McConnell and the president, they accomplished an enormous amount together from passing incredible historic tax relief to passing deregulatory legislation to confirming 230 judges and three Supreme Court justices. And for them to work together would be much more constructive for the party moving forward. Right. Uh, and Mark Short was there as the divide came between them. He told the president, vice president said, we can't do this. I cannot stop the Electoral College tally. It won't happen. The president questioned his courage. And you could say on one level, the vice president's security was definitely breached. And of course, for those two to get together and put it aside, it'll take the president doing that. I understand Nikki Haley reached out to the president after mysteriously, and I talked about it here. She's been very loyal to him. Obviously, she would govern a different style, much like Mike Pompeo, but can appreciate the president's style. And he was the only one that could have got elected. So she reached out to him and wrote an editorial talking about all the good stuff that he's done and how they got to come together. And evidently, according to Politico, Nikki Haley reached out to President Trump at Mar-a-Lago Wednesday, 
but the president turned down an opportunity to sit down. She was going to go fly out there. Remember, she said, quote, I think the president's going to find himself further and further isolated. I think it's his business is suffering at this point. I think he lost any uh, of political viability he has to have. And I think he lost his social media, which meant the world to him. I think he lost the things that really have kept him moving. When you write something like that, I just said, okay, her deal is she's going to win. Uh, ben Sass and company without the president, even after being loyal to him and getting that send off in the Oval Office and getting accolades. It didn't make any sense to at this point does that separating from the president. She's trying to walk that back right now. Um, I one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I personally think if he's going to be successful, it's going to be with all of them successful. The other thing I want to bring what's going on in Texas. You know, you're seeing what's happening. Basically, the entire uh, state has been frozen over. People are running, scrambling for food. They have no heat. They have no water. It's a disaster. And what you see a lot of Democrats and I would say to Joe Biden's credit, President Biden's credit, he called up uh, the governor of Texas and said, listen, what do you need? I'll help you out. It's an emergency. So the power is restored to more homes Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, it was hit. It was blasted. We know that 14 million will are without safe Drinking water, a disaster. In San Antonio, Austin, Houston, they say boil it before you have it. Other people are saying we'd love to get it. We know one person, according to one story, we only know one person in the area with running water, and we're going to borrow some. The storm has left 320,000 homes and businesses without power in Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama. But Texas looks as though, I think the Democrats are taking great glee for some reason in Texas struggling, which is amazing to me because... In a time like this, you would expect that not to happen. And originally coming out blaming uh, green energy for it was not accurate. Got it. Uh, the windmills stopped. That is absolutely true. Not insulating pipes for these experts that say that is huge. Not, inf- not uh, investing in your own infrastructure because you don't want to be hooked up to the national grid is a huge mistake. And that comes from the highest levels. Here's Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on what's going on with the renewables where they lead the country as well as the oil and gas. Cut nine. Some data has been uh, has become fact when it's really a myth. We do not have 25% of renewables. On our best day in the summer, when the sun's out for 12 hours, maybe we can get up to 23, 24%. But like right now, we were planning during the winter when the sun doesn't shine and the wind does not blow as much, about 12%. Uh, okay. Wind and solar combined is about, about 23% at your best day. In other words, a few days a year. But during the winter time, because the sun's not out as much and the wind does not blow as much, um, we were counting on about 11 or 12 percent, maybe 14 percent from wind during the during this last week. We were down to two percent because the turbines were frozen. And the question is, why were they frozen and what could be done and why in other states they weren't? Got to get to the bottom of it. Not every Republican state is perfect. Not every Democratic state is wrong. And this is a case in which these guys got to invest in these things. And that doesn't mean that people should run from taking responsibility. I don't care where you are. You're a leader. You got to do it. It's much easier uh, to put money into projects that are going to get you reelected. When you say I'm insulating pipes and, and, and reinforcing our infrastructure, that's not usually bumper sticker material. But governors, it seems, did not invest in Texas infrastructure, and they're paying the price. one 866 I want to talk about the president's uh, G7 uh, virtual meeting today. I want to talk about what the rest of the world is saying, including France, who is worried about the progressive culture in the U.S. infecting their society, and they are attacking what's being taught at colleges. Should we be following France? 
I'll talk to Admiral James Jarvidis about that. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I I believe uh, President Trump and his administration, uh, while they certainly have made mistakes like every administration, one of the strongest things they've done is their Middle East policy. It is good news that the Biden administration at least now appears to want to support this coalition. My concern with this administration, Pete, they folded with the Iranians six years ago. The same team is back. Will they have the tough minds to negotiate a much better deal with these Iranians who are very tough negotiators? It remains to be seen whether they're going to have the stiffness in their spine to deal with this issue. And that was General Jack Keane about an hour ago on Fox and Friends. And let's bring in Admiral James Stavridis, uh former Supreme Allied uh, commander of this thing called NATO. Uh, there'll be a G7 meeting today, a lot of those same countries involved in NATO. And also he's very excited, as should you be, about his new book that's coming out. It's a novel that imagines a U.S.-China clash in the South China Sea. It's, uh, it's called 2034, a novel of the next world war. Uh, usually scenarios and game plans and, and battle plans uh, that you could imagine only the Admiral knows. Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. And uh, I was happy to hear General Jack Keane, good friend, uh, I think laid it out, as he always does, in very direct terms. So the pre- they made it clear yesterday, uh, the Biden administration went right to Iran and said, we're looking to restart talks uh, uh, and I guess eventually let the sanctions go away, I imagine, uh, when it comes to uh, the Iranians, some type of nuclear deal. What are your thoughts about that? It's not a surprise. Well, 
Not a surprise. There are some good elements here, and there are some uh, danger elements here. The good element is that the Biden team went to the Europeans, as you and I have been talking about, and this idea of going back to the negotiating table uh, is real, and it, it, it is aligned with the Europeans. So that's a plus. The NATO ministerial, all the defense ministers of the NATO countries were together last couple of days. There's alignment there. Um, the danger point is exactly as General Jack lays out, would be that the administration gets too anxious to get back into some kind of a deal and doesn't do the tough negotiations that are going to be required to make this a better deal going forward. I think there's still a path to a better deal, but the administration, in my view, should not give in on sanctions, and that's what you want to watch for an indicator of how this goes. We should not lift sanctions or even consider doing so until two conditions are met. Number one, the Iranians come back into full compliance with the existing agreement. Number two, no further attacks against our troops. We just saw rockets landing uh, on a U.S. base in Iraq shot by militias supported by Iran. Those are red lines in my view. And the next day, we make it, the administration makes it clear, after those rocket attacks that killed a contractor, an American, we say, okay, you guys want to talk, we can talk. Uh, I just thought that timing was... Um, was not good. I agree. So I, I agree. I, I think. I think again, um, the administration needs to have an absolute red line against any Iranian-supported militia attacking uh, U.S. citizens. That includes troops and contractors and tourists, if you will, anywhere in the Middle East. Uh, and Admiral, we just keep in mind. I know you don't do politics, but you know Chuck Schumer, Senator Menendez. Uh, Senator Ben Cardin, they were not for the 2015 deal. They didn't even get the majority of senators and Democrats for it. So it's not that President Trump didn't rip up a treaty. It was never, you know, there was it was upside down. So I don't know why it's going to be more popular now. I don't think it will be. Uh, my sense is that Congress, broadly speaking, both sides of the aisle are in no rush to jump back into the old deal. And that's why the Biden team is going to have to uh, follow the prescription I just laid out. Um, it's got to be uh, a deal that has alignment with our allies. It's got to be uh, only begun when there is full compliance. And uh, it also has to include a diminution of attacks, frankly, not just against U.S. citizens, but really better Iranian behavior through the theater before we try and cut a new deal. I understand their currency has been devalued to the dollar by 80 yep. percent. Uh, and it's put, it plummeted entire po portions of their of the population into poverty. So it bounced back initially after Biden's election, but it's dipping again. Also, what do you th what do you make of the Israel, you know, three weeks in, four weeks in, finally got a call and they didn't get a heads up uh, that they were going to look to get back into that deal. Does that does that um, is that noteworthy? It is out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Concerning. 
um, we need to recognize long-term, even if we get to a point where we can construct a meaningful agreement with Iran that constricts their use of nuclear weapons, reduces their bad behavior in the regime, and circumscribes their long-range ballistic missiles, even if we get to that deal, in order to maintain our geopolitical position in the Middle East, we need two allies. In particular, one is Israel, and the other is the collection of Gulf states. So I don't want to see us pushing away the Saudis, the UAE, and the Israelis. We ought to be grabbing them and pulling them close because that will help us in the negotiation with Iran. Uh, Admiral, look forward to getting your book. And also there's a G7, a virtual G7 today. And then I'd love to talk to you about what comes out of that. We know the Joe Biden took, President Biden takes great pride in saying it's no longer America first. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Brian, thanks, and have a great weekend. All right, go get him, Admiral. Uh, when we come back, we talk to uh, Dr. Phil Zelikow about the dangers of what is happening with Taiwan, China, and more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm an idea guy. There's no question that I'm an idea guy. I don't consider myself an intellectual in the classic sense because... I haven't been uh, formally educated. I, I dropped out of college after, after one year. And I'm not a prolific writer. Um, I do my communicating via the spoken word. That's just a little Rush Limbaugh talking about Rush Limbaugh in a very humble, accurate way. I mean, he knows he's got, he had 600 stations. He knows there was no one like him before. He knows he did laps around everybody else that came after him. And he was not resentful of up-and-coming stars like Sean and uh, Mark uh, Levin and everybody, everybody like that. He was just, hey, how can I help? How can, how can we continue to make an impact? How do we make this business work? And uh, Rush Limbaugh, I didn't know him very well, but when I did meet him in the past, we got along great. And in fact, he helped me with my book, It's How You Play the Game. I interviewed 92 people about the role sports played in their lives. And I wanted to prove in that book that people in history from Teddy Roosevelt even Abraham Lincoln, who was a wrestler, uh, and not formally like we know it, but back then. Uh, and then you look at people like Joe Montana and Rush Limbaugh and The Rock and, and, and Robin Williams. And I said, well, what did they learn in sports that helped them and what they chosen to do in their life or after their sports was done? And Rush told me two separate stories. And in the book on tape, I included, uh, I interviewed everybody, and then we knocked him down to um, essays. So the 92 two- or three-page essays, and I get a picture of him back then. So I had a picture of Rush, if you could picture this. I, in the book, you could still download it. It's how you play the game, if you're, especially if you're a coach or a, a young athlete, a teacher, a parent. So I interviewed Rush. I said, Rush, what did you learn in sports? And in about 10 minutes after we get back, just before the end of the hour, I'm going to take, uh, let you hear one of the stories, two straight minutes of Rush. You have probably never heard this before unless you downloaded it. You'll hear that in two minutes. So one of the big challenges that we talk about in our show, one of the big worries I had after this election uh, with Joe Biden taking over, not only destroying the economy by greening it instead of allowing us uh, to be the number one energy producer in the world and giving us great security, was how we're going to be on China. Here's what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo 
said he was concerned about and what he's hopeful for because he knows the danger of red China. I am counting on, indeed the American people are counting on this administration being tough and getting it right, making sure we protect jobs here at home from intellectual property theft, all, all the things that this administration did to put the Chinese Communist Party on notice that we weren't, we weren't going to adopt the policy of the last 50 years, hoping and praying that if we just did a little more trade with them, did a little more uh, commercial activity, uh, that all of a sudden they would stop uh, being predators around the world. Uh, we did that. We began this confrontation in a way that was important and protected the American people. So is that going to continue? And Joe Biden did have a conversation with President Xi. He said it went for a long time. But what did they discuss? They did not bring up, and we have not, and he has not officially said, that uh, locking up about a million Uyghurs, Muslim Uyghurs, uh, is genocide. It's a concentration camp. Why is that hard to understand? Dr. Philip Zelkow is a University of Virginia professor um, um, of history. And he's written a paper, The United States, China, and Taiwan, A Strategy to Prevent War. To Prevent War. Uh, Dr. Zelikow, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad to be on. Thank you. So we know that Taiwan looks over at Hong Kong as the rest of the world and saw the way the uh, main uh, Beijing steamrolled it. And they wonder if they're next. How do we stop them from being next? I think it's really hard. Um, I think we stop them from being next. We make deterrence stronger by coming up with realistic plans for how to deter China from attacking Taiwan. A realistic plan that makes it clear that if China attacked Taiwan, it would face a choice of whether to initiate a war against the United States and would show that if China did initiate a war against the United States and probably Japan, that it would face a coordinated response that would fracture the world economically and see an American and Japanese militarization of a kind that they need to see before a crisis. They need to see the readiness for that before a crisis instead of waiting to see it after the crisis happens in order to keep the crisis from happening at all. So the question is, I actually thought we had a plan in place should Taiwan be invaded by China, and I thought that's part of the reason we were giving them weapons. Uh, isn't Taiwan uh, capable of defending itself? Um, we hope that Taiwan is capable of defending itself. And uh, I think the United States should continue to help do all it can so that Taiwan can defend itself. The problem now is that many people in Taiwan think that, well, maybe we don't have to work that hard at defending ourselves because the United States will just come to the rescue. And the United States will declare war on China and, uh, and come to the rescue. The majority of the American people, actually, are not yet on board with the idea that the United States would initiate a war with China in order to defend Taiwan. Uh, that, that's not the position of the United States publicly. Um, and the American people uh, in the latest polls, both Democrats and Republicans, are reluctant to make such a commitment. But if the Taiwanese right now, Taiwan relies on that commitment, they might not take the defense measures that we should support to help them defend themselves. And then, in there, if there is a crisis, the United States should insist on being able to continue to rush the supplies to Taiwan that it may need to maintain its defenses, even if China tries to keep us from doing that. Professor Zelikow, the, the core right. needs to be on China, on Taiwan defending itself with American help. So what you're suggesting is 
Okay, having said that, that's one element. Taiwan's got to realize they got to defend themselves, and Hong Kong should have been their wake-up call if they needed one. They're so productive yep. economically, uh, and, they, and they represent everything China would become if they put free market principles into their government, but we know they go in the opposite direction. So would you yep. like to see the EU come aboard and just almost announce in a public pronouncement exactly the series of events that would take place should they try to take up the former island of Formosa? I think that's a uh, I think that's a great idea. Uh, I think the most important is to be really clear about the stance of Japan, um, and to then coordinate our response clearly and visibly with Japan. And then that could include a whole series of other allies and partners, including the European Union. But the the core thing that's missing yet is it's we don't have a clear orchestrated combined plan. With even with the Japanese, who will be right at the center of, of a possible conflict. Is it is it possible, maybe for our audience, can you put in perspective this the uh, worry China would have of a aggressive Japan and the the memory that they still possess about what Japan did to them in World War II and how we can right. use that to to uh, use that fear to our advantage. Right. Well, right now uh, Japan has sworn off militarization. Uh, because, because of the reaction to World War II. If China acted violently to take control of Taiwan, the United States and Japan could plan together to do what I think would happen in any case. After the fact, I think the Japanese, if, the, if China did that to Taiwan, would conclude that that was a threat to their vital interests and that Japan would have to make the fateful decision to remilitarize for the first time in generations. Um, I think it's important that the Chinese see that the Americans and Japanese are planning for that possibility before a Taiwan crisis, because that may help deter them from initiating such a crisis at all. Would China, would the Japanese people, would their government be on board with that opportunity? I mean, do we have to convince them to do this? I think J Japan feels very strongly about Taiwan. Part of the problem, again, is that the Japanese have been lulled into thinking we don't have to worry or plan too much about this problem because the Americans are going to take care of it. And that's what pre drove President Trump nuts. Uh, he says, why does America have to take care of everybody? You know, why is Germany not have a military? Why are they doing business with that? You know, why is it up a pipeline through their country? Yet we're spending zillions of dollars to put troops there to make sure that that same country, Russia, doesn't invade them and take over. Yep. But there's a there's a real tension here among conservatives. Um, Tom Cotton just gave a speech announcing that the United States should commit itself in a crystal clear way to defend Taiwan. In other words, he wants to double down on reassuring everyone that we'll take care of it. But actually, it will be very hard for us to take care of it on our own. And the, the Chinese have advantages of geography, attention, resources when you get that close to their territory. And meanwhile, there's a lot that Taiwans can do to defend themselves if the Americans will commit to help them do that. And Dr. Silicow, um, you have to scare China economically. And to do that, you have to shut off the Western markets from their products. Are we capable of acting in a united way to, to uh, stiff arm China? See, I think, actually, if you decouple now, you reduce 
the incentive for them to worry about a war with Taiwan, since from their point of view, what do we have to lose? You've already destroyed, you've already cut us off. But if you threaten to uh, to completely fracture all economic and financial relations with China after a Taiwan crisis, and you plan visibly ahead of time to show them you will do that, that is a potent deterrent threat that might prevent a war. But if you sever all those ties now, at that point, the Chinese have much less to lose. And they just poisoned the world and got away with it. I mean, they haven't wrote a check to anybody. They've destroyed 180, 180 countries. Uh, their coronavirus uh, has k- killed millions of people, destroyed lives. And they're, they're proud of the fact that they rebuilt their economy first. I mean, that's the mindset of the people we're dealing with in their government. Yeah, there's a lot of anger about China. And so then the, uh, the challenge then is how to channel that anger into the results we want. I hear you. Uh, is it possible to actually do the things you're saying when we have so much manufacturing in that country? Um, I think I think it is. Uh, it's plausible to plan for such a fracture because if the United States, if China initiated a war with the United States because we were trying to get defensive supplies to Taiwan, if China attacked our people, uh, we would sever all those ties right away as we have in any previous conflict. Uh, So why not plan ahead of time to show China we're prepared to do just that? Uh, That's a realistic, credible plan that we could prepare in advance to deter them from starting a war to begin with. That's the goal. The goal is to prevent a war, not plan to mess up the world after it's already happened. I understand that at least we agree on one thing. I just hope both parties agree that, that China is the challenge. And, 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 and not to look elsewhere and think that we, we have um, anything more than, than a threat to world dominance that we have. It they, is a real they, challenge. They want it. And these are, That's the threat. It is a real challenge. And these are um, when you really roll up your sleeves and dig into how to prepare best for this, this is a really hard problem. But the American people are entitled to have, make judgments about when and under what circumstances they want to have a general war. Uh, this has been very enlightening. Uh, Dr. Philip Zelikow, thanks, thanks so much. Okay, you're welcome. one 408 We come back, I'll take some calls. Also, I'm going to play it a couple of times throughout the show today. Uh, some of uh, what Rush Limbaugh was kind enough to give me some time for a book I wrote called How You Play the Game. He played baseball and he played football. And he says it helped him immeasurably in the rest of his life, not because he won pro or had a contract. You'll find out that story exclusively here. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Rush Limbaugh was one of the finest human beings that you would ever want to meet. A generous, wonderful, beautiful spirit. Humble. A gentleman. Always. 
never failed to thank people for the smallest service that they could do to him, never looked down on people. It burns me to my soul when people sully his reputation with falsehoods, calling him a racist. This man was just an incredible phenomena. And we love you, Rush. God bless you. Uh, it's so true that both Snurley and he was his longtime producer and probably best friend. And he just talked about what he's meant to him. Uh, Rush Limbaugh meant to so much, so many people, some who never had a chance to meet him. But by the way, he broadcast. He was so personal. You felt like you did know him. He was kind enough to help me with my book. It's how you play the game. And on my audio version of the book. I put the actual interviews I did with all 92 people when possible. Sometimes I talk to the historian or biographer in the situation with Reagan or with Teddy Roosevelt. We all went to Tweed Roosevelt, his grandson, his great-grandson especially. So here is something you'll hear nowhere else. Rush Limbaugh talking about what sports did for him and his character. I've never had a confidence problem. Uh, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was... But I've always, I've always wanted to be on stage, uh, and you know, a kicker is on stage. But look, I'll be honest, that there's another part of me that wanted to be a kicker because I didn't want to do all that other rigorous stuff in practice. I was, I was, I was trying to get out of it. And uh, you know, coach said, if, if we were to let you do this, you wouldn't have any respect on this team. Everybody's going to be busting their ass. They're going to be doing a bull in the ring. They're going to be doing a nutcracker, and you're going to be over there like a sissy kicking. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'd grown up. Uh, playing Little League, uh, starting with whatever that is, age 10, uh, played there three years, then start Babe Ruth League, and that takes you through age uh, 15. Uh, And came time to go to high school, go out for the baseball team, and I thought that I was automatic. I was going to automatically make the team, thought I was a good player, thought everybody knew I was a good player. Uh, I played in all these leagues with all the great players of my age, and and uh, was part of that camaraderie and team, and I didn't survive the first cut. Cut right away in high school. I was the, the after the first tryout. Uh, the the the, uh, the people that were uh, the, the way the coach did it. He didn't cut. He didn't post the page with the people who were cut. He posted the page of the survivors, and I uh, I didn't see my name on it. I said, "This has got to be some kind of a." It was, it was a classic example. I just assumed. Plus, the coach was a, a good friend of the family. I just thought I had it locked. I, I, I thought that it, it was it was the fait accompli. I, and, and I was just stunned. And I went home and told my dad he couldn't believe it either. Uh, and I said, well, you're going to call a coach? He said, I'm damn well not going to call the coach. It's not my job. I'm not going to question. He would never complain to a teacher or a coach. Son, you didn't make the team, and it's time you learn and deal with that reality. And if you want to find out why, maybe you go talk to the coach. But but um, uh, those those two experiences were, you know, I mean, slaps of reality upside the head, so to speak. Right. So we learned from that. The one thing we cut out, but in the book, is when it came to football because he got cut from baseball. He tried out for football. He wanted to be a kicker, uh, and they said, "No, you got to do more than that." You heard that. But what you did got you got cut out was he was running sprints at the end of every practice, and he hated it. And they said, "Okay." After a couple of sprints, they would say, "Okay, the the top three finishers." The top three finishers uh, would get to be done. If you finish in the top three, go to the locker room. You're done. And he went from last to first three days in a row. Finally, on the fourth day, the coach said, get over here. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm pacing myself. I, I want to wait for the end, finish top three, and then go to the locker room. He said, life is not about pacing yourself. And in my humble opinion, that's why he approached every show like his first and his last. He's not pacing himself. 
He never took advantage or took for granted tomorrow. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you, you know, based in New York, heard around the country, around the world. Shortly, Geraldo Rivera will be with us in the bottom of the hour, Call Rove. A lot to discuss. A G7 done virtual. Joe Biden's first as president. And, of course, the first virtual in the history. A lot on the line. Everyone's talking about the Iranian deal that's going to be back in play and how America no longer is going to be first. Isn't that a great feeling? Uh, He's going to make sure people know that. Great. Fantastic. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He continued to yell and let me know that I haven't seen uh, my his rap and his anger. It was all just part of a ploy in retrospect and in order to pressure me and, and scare me into uh, issuing a statement. Yeah, and that is Ron Kim, a Democrat from uh, the Queens area of Long Island, of New York, uh, talking about the governor, a fellow Democrat. Impeach Cuomo, the new battle cry in New York, as the Emmy Award-winning, self-congratulating governor tries to bully his way out of controversy, and it blows up in his face. Is this a pothole in his political career or the beginning of the end for the Trump nemesis? Number two. We have an agency called ERCOT that runs our grid. They drop the ball. It all goes back to our governor, Greg Abbott. You know, the buck stops with him. Wow, Texas. The lights are starting to come back on in much of Texas, but many residents are still extremely dire situation. A quarter of the state under a boil water order, but the problem is a lot of them don't have any water. As if this wasn't enough, changes are to remain in Mexico policy are creating chaos at the border. Everyone sitting there waiting to get in can now come into our country in the middle of a pandemic. Asylum seekers, come one, come all. Plus, the Ted Cruz situation. Number one. The inner squabbles are, are, are really less helpful. The reality is you look at Mitch McConnell and the president, they accomplished an enormous amount together. For them to work together would be much more constructive for the party moving forward. Mark Shore, Chief of Staff, Vice President Pence, on reuniting the party. Donors and voters are forced to pick between Trump and McConnell. Why the Republicans may be the losers and the Dems are simply loving it. What's going to bring these guys together? Joining us now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, a lot to discuss. You ready? I'm set. I'm set, Brian. Take it away. <laughs> All right. First off, McConnell or Trump, where do you stand? You got to pick one, it seems. Disaster for Republicans. I, I don't like that you have to pick one, but uh, I, I must say that McConnell, there's been different McConnells. The McConnell who said that Donald Trump was primarily the person responsible for the mayhem and destruction and disorder that happened on January 6th. I like that, uh, Mitch McConnell. I also think that to say uh, at the next Mitch McConnell that there may be a role for Donald Trump to play in the Republican Party and American politics going forward, I think that is also fair. I mean, he was acquitted, uh, you know, so there's no legal or constitutional impediment uh, for the president to be uh, the ex-president, the former president to be involved in in politics. I I think that I don't – my main – Bottom line is this, you know, that I, I, I love the president in terms of the friend that he's been to me over the years. Uh, and I think he did a, 
He could have been the most successful one-term president in the history of the republic, but for what happened following the contested election. Uh, but I, I don't – and I don't like uh, uh, what happened on January 6th. I think that it was really uh, in many ways indefensible. But, you know, uh, you know, no one is irredeemable, certainly not someone like, uh, like Donald Trump. He has a role to play. If people want to vote for him in 2024, they should be able to find yeah, well, Mitch McConnell, it just didn't seem very savvy to say, I'm not, I'm not going to vote to impeach. But uh, President Trump, hey, criminal indictments, come one, come all. So the Trump fires back in a two-page letter. Bottom line is donors and voters don't know where to go from here. Nikki Haley, who wrote a condemning article uh, a few days ago about January 6th, that the president's been let us down, since wrote a column kind of reversing her, saying the press took her out of context. And then ask for a meeting with President Trump. To me, Mike Pompeo, Tom Cotton, uh, Marco Rubio say you know, they are they show that's how to do it. I don't agree with everything the president does, but I see much more positives, and I want them on my side. Did should Nikki Haley? I mean, why did Nikki Haley go full Liz Cheney? And is she right to try to get back in his good graces? Well, you know, I, I admire consistency. I, I don't want. I don't like what appears to be opportunism. Having said that, and I, I hate to be, uh, you know, to, you know, being a, on the other hand, or, uh, but I like Nikki Haley. I think Nikki Haley did a great job as governor of South Carolina. I think that, uh, you know, I covered the, uh, the the Charleston massacre down there. I think she held that state together and 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 broader. I think that she helped hold the country together following the massacre of those uh, eight. Uh, African American, uh, uh, you know, parishioners in uh, the Mother Emanuel Church. Uh, I, I, I think that Trump could punish people that uh, went after him. I, I think that uh, uh, you know, and uh, uh, he's also an other hander in the sense that uh, I remember when he was embracing Nikki Haley. If uh, his sole beef with her is that she thought that he did a horrible thing on uh, January sixth, I, I think the president's got to get over himself too, Brian. I do, too. I, I think that somebody's got to talk to him big picture, uh, win 2022, get back the House, try to keep those 20-plus seats uh, that are up for grabs in 2022, and then see where you're at in 2024. But you can't do that without getting at least a little bit of the chamber back. I want to bring you to another person that I think you are very familiar with, and that's Governor Andrew Cuomo. He's been called a bully. We remember the Buffalo Project. Billions have been lost. No one's been held accountable except one a guy that he's called – his uh, basically a brother. I think he went to jail. We know about some of the controversies in his programs, but he's been walking on water until recently. Listen to Ron Kim describe a call he got from the governor on Saturday. It sounds like something that uh, Al Pacino did in Godfather <laughs> 1 and 2. Cut 17. Excuse me, cut 18. The first words that came out of his mouth was, asking me if I were an honorable man. And he continued to yell and let me know that I haven't seen uh, my, his rep and his anger, that he can come, go out tomorrow and uh, start telling the world about how bad of a person I am and, and pretty much ruin and finish my career and my livelihood. It was all just part of a ploy in retrospect and in order to pressure me and, and scare me into uh, issuing a statement. 
it's blown up in his face because he's got 14 to 18 other Democrats backing him up. There's a federal prosecutor looking into his nursing home situations, his decision in March to put infected seniors back into nursing homes and left it there until the middle of May and then uh, was not candid and stiff-armed the Department of Justice about how many died. And it turns out his own attorney general said he was 50 percent underscoring it. It was over 15,000, not 8,000. This is true. Does he understand he's in trouble? I do think that it's uh, dawning on him. You know, I, I know the Cuomo family, uh, you know, Mario Cuomo, uh, the father of Andrew and, uh, and Chris was my favorite guest when I had my old Rivera live show on CNBC. I think that uh, generally speaking, Andrew has done a, a good job, uh, uh, of being governor, he's uh, been elected three times. He he wants to beat his his father and get that fourth term. Uh, you know, he's a perennial uh, a presidential uh, wannabe. Uh, but he he got caught. Uh, you know, if if indeed it's true that they intentionally underballed the number of people who died in New York nursing homes by fifty percent and covered it up because they didn't want the Trump administration to have a weapon to use against Andrew Cuomo, who was riding high. Remember in the early days, he wrote a book. Uh, you mentioned his Emmy. Uh, if they did that, then he's in, in serious trouble. I, I think that we know that nursing homes in New York, whether or not there's criminal responsibility, we know that there's a moral uh, you know, uh, imperative here. If indeed they had infected elderly, and took them out of hospitals and forced the nursing home operators to accept them back in the facility where they could infect their other vulnerable, uh, you know, old lady in the bed next uh, next door. Uh, you know, that's a terrible misjudgment that he has to cop to. And it would seem to me, Brian, that with that kind of body count, it would be extremely difficult for Andrew Cuomo to have a prosperous, uh, you know, future in the world of politics, certainly not national politics. Wow. You, I mean, you're very kind. I, to me, I thought Geraldo would have this black and white, especially with all these 14 Democrats who back Kim, says ah, we're deeply disturbed by the governor's attacks on our colleague, yeah. a fellow Democrat. Yeah. Come on. It's, a, you know, you, you, the, uh, uh, there's bare-knuckled politics in New York. You can't be thin-skinned. Andrew Cuomo is a bully. He's always been a bully. You've got to be a bully. That's okay. You can't, uh, you know, wimp out and say, oh, he yelled at me. You've got to uh, be a bully to be a leader? Uh, in New York, I think that's probably true. I, you know, I don't want to generalize. But, uh, you know, it's a tough town. It's a tough state. Alec Baldwin uh, uh, says Cuomo, you know, Alec Baldwin, my idol, there. remains my idol. Alec Baldwin says Alec Cuomo. Baldwin is your idol? Yes. Uh, he says Cuomo should resign <laughs> if he threatened. Board. Yeah, I know. Uh, he, he should resign if he threatened the Democratic lawmaker. Alec Baldwin weighed in. Uh, that's kind of weird. And for Alec Baldwin, who uh, beat up somebody because he took his parking place, I think he's hardly in a, in a place of moral high ground when it comes to bullying. Well, Amazon, other major uh, stores are quiet. They still are selling Cuomo's book. By the way, you don't think it's one of the dumbest, craziest things ever to write a book about how to beat a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic and a surge was coming around the corner and he's releasing a book, doing a book tour, and we it, are it, number one until worked. recently in deaths and cases? That is not it, nuts it, to you? 
it is it is it is nuts. But what is the <laughs> most telling fact is yes. that he, he wrote the book thinking that he had done a great job, thinking that he had it yes. eaten, and totally lacked the foresight to see I, that there was another way of coming, despite the experts telling there was another way of coming. Right. First thing I would say, you know, it's ultimately, I'd like leaders to say, you know, ultimately it's my responsibility to have enough respirators, to have enough PPE, but I was hoping for yeah. more federal help as opposed to Donald Trump and the federal government have worked, uh, let us down. I don't do pandemics. That's a classic line. Uh, meanwhile, the cases in this country down 44% over the last two weeks, deaths down 39%, hospitalizations down 30%. Geraldo, why are we running from that good news? I think you're exactly right. We are running from that good news. I, I believe that in a very short amount of time, this pandemic will be in America's rear view mirror. Uh, my wife, Erica, pointed out, but what about the rest of the world and those people? Because they haven't gotten the vaccine, unlike Americans. Uh, they're going to reinfect us over and over. I think that you have to understand that Millions of Americans have already had this disease. They've either been uh, mildly symptomatic or asymptomatic. They're already immune. Tens of millions are already vaccinated. They're vaccinating 2 million a day now. I believe we have this thing beaten as long as we stay the course. Wear the damn masks for a little bit longer. Keep your distance. Wash your hands. I think that uh, by summertime, this will be, uh, you know, a bitter uh, but the but memory, it'll be a memory in the past. Right. Uh, I would just can't wait for Anthony Fauci to say the exact opposite tomorrow and then reverse himself the next day. Then I'll know I'm in the right yeah, country. Okay. Uh, and then soon <laughs> we'll be able to flood the zone with get this whole world, every continent full of uh, this vaccine. And and then we'll we'll be able to uh, to travel again. And this economy will begin to thrive again. Corrado, uh, uh, it's been great talking to you. Do you feel the same way? I absolutely do, Brian. I totally endorse what you just said. In fact, you should run for governor of New York because you could stand up to the bully. He couldn't but, push you around. He, thank you. And I wouldn't bully people around. That's not how you lead. Why does Geraldo accept that? You would never be bullying people as governor. You would not do that. I'm a street fighter. I don't. I don't. I have very thick skin. And, uh, you know, you push me, I push you back harder. That's well, how about this? You make a phone call. Do you not think that phone call is going to get out? I mean, is this his first day in politics? You don't think this That's guy's arrogant. got a microphone? That's arrogance. If there's a microphone and you're talking, yes. it's going to be public. Thank you. So we agree on that. I love the Geraldo. On my guest sheet, no last name. It's just Geraldo, like Pele. <laughs> like, how does that happen? How did you become just Geraldo? I don't know, Brian. It just, uh, you know, it has three syllables. That's more than enough for people. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Geraldo. Thank you. All right, Brian. You got it. Listen, when we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. I've not had a chance to talk to you since the passing of uh, Rush Limbaugh. Um, well, we'll talk about that when we get back. We'll get your reflections on that. And you know what we're talking about. Even if you're around the country, I, I don't want to ever focus on one state too much, especially when Texas should be getting most of our focus, and I will, and I'm going to focus on that. But when this governor, who, re who represents everything uh, that Hollywood loves, and yet we knew the truth about what he wasn't doing and how ineffective and arrogant he is. He actually sits in his own press conference and asks himself his own questions, and no one called him out on that. Uh, and now it's coming out, uh, thanks to the relentless pursuit for Janice Dean, not to get him, but to get justice 
uh, for our in-laws. And he continues to say it's nothing but conspiracy theories. We'll play you some of that. And at the bottom of the hour, Carl Rove wrote a column on the McConnell-Trump feud, uh, where he stands next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. Carl Rove, in a matter of moments, we'll talk about the infighting of the Republican Party, where they should go from here, uh, with the president speaking out after the passing of Rush Limbaugh. He came out and did a bunch of shows, did Fox and Friends, did uh, Sean Hannity's show. I think he did a few other networks. So uh, the president's coming out more, wrote a two-page letter condemning uh, Mitch McConnell. It's just not helpful. Uh, the president's got to rally everyone together. Part of being a leader is looking past others. And if Mitch McConnell's want to come down on him, but go to the people you want to deal with. Steve Scalise want to visit him in Mar-a-Lago. And I think, uh, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, let's go out to Eric. Listen on WDBO. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Rush Limbaugh twice in my life. Never been able to get through to his phone. 1-800-282-2882 will be forever embedded in so many memories in this country. Um, the first time I met Rush was the day Bush 41 lost the election. Rush introduced him on the steps of a Madison, New Jersey courthouse, a very famous courthouse that's been in like four movies now. And then we were lucky enough to be on his show which was a Thursday night in 1994. And he did, here's a little comedy about Rush. He did two shows on Thursday, so he didn't tape on Friday. So in between shows, he had my father-in-law and me, everybody changed ties. They got different seats, so it looked different. But um, I lost a great friend. And I pulled over and I cried. I really did. I pulled my truck over and I cried. And uh, I feel so bad for Bo Snurdly. That you could hear it. That man's known Rush longer than he's known his own his own wife. I mean, this is Rush's third wife. I think Catherine. They've been together like fifty. Rush has Rush has been with Bo Snurdly for thirty years. My heart goes out to that man. Like you can't believe. And what are we going to do now, Brian? I still listen. I think that they'll keep his show on as long as people keep the dial tuned. We could listen the best of for a very long time. And uh, just so you know, there's a lot of us that are so loyal to you, too, and I hope we get a lot of you. I'm the same age as you, 1964, so I hope we get a lot of years out of you, too, my friend. Absolutely, and I think there's one thing to to learn from him, too, the way even when he was – he only had weeks, days left. His shows were great. Hey, this is my condition. This is what I'm going through. And meantime, uh, let me tell you what's happening in the world. He ran through the tape. And he did it with great class and never made it about him. He made it about the country. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the problem. We cannot be a party of one person. We have to be a party of ideas and a party that stands up. And we're seeing right now, Brian, boy, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris 
and this Democratic Congress are going to do to this country in terms of spending, in terms of, of the liberal policies that they're going up and down on, um, I, you know, that's what I'm focused on stopping. And let's stop worrying about whose feelings are hurt and who we have to get revenge against. And I, that's my biggest complaint with President Trump right now. That was uh, Governor Chris Christie on our show a couple of days ago, and I think he nailed it. That's exactly how I feel. I don't really care who's right. I think there's a lot of things going on in this country that really got people scared and concerned wherever you go, and not just because their party's winning or losing. This stuff is going on. You're taking Lincoln and Washington off schools. You're changing our educational system. You are changing our immigration system about who's coming here in the middle of a pandemic, getting rid of the Remain in Mexico policy, the $1.9 trillion, while cases have decreased 76% in the last six weeks. This doesn't concern you. That should be the goal. When you have a common enemy and objective, that should unite people, not divide them. But right now, it's the McConnell camp against the Trump camp. And maybe there's subdivisions below. Carl Rove wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal and joins us now. Hey, Carl. Morning. How are you? Yeah, I, I imagine that Governor Christie echoes how you feel. Yeah, I do. We, we've got to make this uh, an election about um, ideas and positive ideas as well as oppositional ideas. We can't simply be opposed to everything that the Biden administration does and hope to win. We've got to project a positive image of what we would do. I've uh, I've actually taken, you know, I'm sort of an amateur historian like you. Uh, actually, you're a professional historian, I should say. But we did this in 1966. We got we got wiped out in 1964, and and the Republicans in Congress made a special effort in the in the run up to the 1966 elections to make it about positive ideas like an all volunteer military, and like turning the tax code into an energy to an engine of economic growth by cutting capital gains taxes, by focusing on how we could spread prosperity to poor communities, black, brown, and rural. And uh, it worked. And uh, we got to approach it the same way. You do. And President Trump helped redefine the party. Number one, you made real gains again in the Hispanic community after decreases. And uh, some in the black community, much more needs to be done. But you are a blue-collar party now. And the, the perception of Republicans be the party of the rich. I mean, with these corporations walking away from Republicans publicly and with them rallying to Biden, they're helping sell that story. Is that a story you would like to sell? Yeah, look, we, these trends have been in, in train for a while. There's an interesting study by two Johns Hopkins political scientists, not exactly uh, people of the center right. And, and what they said, they make an interesting observation. Read, read the technical language, but what pops out is, the movement of working-class, blue-collar Americans away from the Democratic Party and to the Republican Party has been underway for a number of years because of the increasing dissonance between the values of those people, the blue-collar, working-class Americans, and the elites of the Democratic Party. Uh, Trump was the beneficiary of that, not the originator or the author. The authors were people in the Democratic Party who started look, sounding and looking like exactly what they were, elites out of touch with the middle of the country. So the point of these two Johns Hopkins political scientists and sociologists is Trump disappearing from the scene as president is not going to make this problem go away. In fact, we're seeing – you mentioned it. Think about this. You're somebody living in the middle of the country in the San Francisco school board says we're not going to have a school named after Washington or Jefferson or, in, in my case, William McKinley, Paul uh, a war hero who fought to free the slaves because they were all – you know, they were all racist. I mean, they're just ridiculous. 
Those kind of moves by the Democratic Party are alienated from working class America. And we've got to show that we stand for traditional values and for an economic program that will give them the greatest opportunity for a, for a prosperous life and a better future for their kids. Yeah, and I think that's easy to do, and you don't have to really sell it. I think people are naturally outraged by it. In Chicago, same thing. They are having a commission put together to decide what statue should stay of Jefferson, Washington, and Lincoln. Really, I'm sorry about it. I'm sorry if they don't live up to your standards, but we would have no country without them. But I don't want to get into that. Nikki Haley was very aggressive on the president. He says, we have to be honest. I'm paraphrased. He let us all down on January 6th. She has since tried to walk it back in a column and reportedly reached out to former President Trump on Wednesday to request a sit-down, but a source familiar tells Politico that he turned her down. This is the type of things, uh, I think Nikki Haley's got so many positive attributes, uh, positive qualities going for her, along with what way to work with President Trump, who's very different than her. Is she trying to save her presidential opportunities? And can you have presidential and legitimate presidential uh, hopes and alienate the president, the former president? Well, we, we don't know the answer to the latter question, but the point is don't go out of your way to alienate him. But on the other hand, don't put yourself in a place where the people who surround the president, who are, who are a bunch of small people, uh, do the thing that they did, which is she reached out to the president. And rather than simply say not now, they went and leaked it to the press. So there's a lesson for everybody. Do not deal with the president directly unless you're unless you're willing to be poured out on the front pages of the newspaper by some anonymous leak around the president trying to make President Trump look bigger by making everybody else look smaller. And and and, and look, the president's attack on look, everybody is entitled to their opinion about what happened on January 6th. I for one believe that it was a terrible a terrible mistake on his part to tell that crowd to go to the Capitol and show strength and to excoriate his vice president. For not doing uh, for not doing his job, I mean to suggest that the vice president of the United States has the unilateral authority to determine who uh, states electors are is a disaster and unconstitutional and makes our country not a democratic republic, but a monarchy or an authoritarian regime. Would we like Al Gore to have had the final opinion in 2001 on who the delegates, the electors were from Florida, or would they like to Joe Biden to be able to unilaterally decide? who the electors were <clears throat> from Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania in 2017. No, but I, and I do think the president, his biggest mistake was taking 27 hours before he condemned the violence. Yeah, he went out after the rampage through the Capitol and said, I love you, you're special people, now go home. But he should have been deeply condemning the violence as it went on. But having said that, and unless he's going to show, say, look, I made a mistake, we, we know what he's going to do, which is attack anybody who, who, who disagrees with him. But it's a mistake on his part. And this week he made a big mistake. He attacked Senator McConnell for having – first, remember, McConnell voted to acquit him. But then he turned around and said he felt, felt the president was morally, practically responsible for what happened. And that's his opinion, and he made it on Saturday. Tuesday, the president launches a, a, a terrific attack on him, 600 words of invective. Somebody went to the thesaurus and found out all, you know, what could they, what, what slurs could they, they, they use. And it was terrible. And he suggested that McConnell be replaced. Well, that ain't going to happen. The Republicans in the Senate are not going to replace Mitch McConnell, who led them to success and led the president's agenda to success. And in essence, created the issue on which he won the 2016 election 
namely who's going to fill the Scalia vacancy on the Supreme Court, Hillary Clinton or Donald J. Trump, they're not going to replace him and put a, a, a Trump toady in his place. And as a result, the end of this will be two things. We look like we're at war with each other, which we sort of are, but no need to, to talk about it deeply. And second of all, it's also going to make the president look weak because he demanded that the Senate replace McConnell, and they ain't replacing McConnell. So right. the president would be better at letting these things be a one-day story rather than you know three days after McConnell says something, resurrecting it and making it another three- or four- or five-day story. Guess what is going to be the topic on Sunday on the Sunday morning talks? I bet you almost every one of them in some way, shape, or form talks about the civil war among Republicans based on the president's uh, Tuesday statement. I'm with you, Carl. I just thought Mitch McConnell's speech was totally unnecessary. Uh, you know, what you said, no one's really going to challenge you. Um, about the January 6th, but, but you can't be responsible for every speech you make if someone misinterprets it and tries to uh, use violence. Uh, so that's that's the issue. But for, for Mitch McConnell to take 20 minutes and just blister President Trump and invite uh, some type of um, some legal uh, legal jeopardy now that he's a civilian, I thought was over the top. Would you agree with that? That that benefited no well, one. Well, I, I, I'm not certain I, I, I agree with that. I, I think people are entitled to explain to their to their uh, to their to their constituents back home why they did what they did so go home and, and do it. go grab a well, grab a you know, plaid he, shirt and go he, do it well he did it in the you know in, rather than spending you know seven or eight or nine days tramping through uh from east kentucky to west kentucky he did it in a 20-minute speech on the floor of the senate at the conclusion of of the impeachment proceedings that was appropriate and and yeah. you, you can agree or disagree with what he said that's fine but yeah, I think the president made a mistake by resp- by taking until Tuesday to respond and then spending 600 words trashing McConnell and slurring his reputation, slandering his wife, who served in for the president's cabinet on a completely phony deal, and then suggesting that one of the great leaders of the Senate's, Senate since it began in 1789 is somehow an idiot who, as he said, has never had it, never will, never can get it done. I mean, that's just – not based in reality. You can say a lot of things about Mitch McConnell, but you cannot say that he has not been a strong and effective leader. Most impressively, on behalf of the president's agenda, from from conservative judges to every piece of the legislative agenda that the president put forward, he got through. So, you know, he's entitled to say what he says. Sometimes the president needs to step above. Do you think Bush or Reagan liked it when people were critical of them or both Bushes? No, but you, you'll see something run. Reagan, 41 and 43 did not take their, their their fellow Republicans to task when they disagreed. I remember a congressman from Indiana getting up and attacking President Bush on Medicare Prescription Part D, which passed the Congress and signed into law, and No Child Left Behind, and explaining why he was voting against both of them because he disagreed with the president. His name was Mike Pence, and there was no reason for the president of the United States to go and attack the guy who just but, attacked him and his, and, his, and his ideas. I want to talk about Texas, Carl, but I don't know if you've met President Trump. He does things differently, uh, positive oh, and negative. Look, as I said in my column, as I said in my column, that was, you know, in essence, quintessential Trump. He shouldn't have done it, but he's going to do it again because that's his, that's his M.O. I'm just saying it's not good for him and not good for his party. Right, because he's still a factor. Uh, you could dismiss him oh, all yeah, you want. You could be big, Jeff Flake and— and you could yeah, say, pretend as if he's going away, but he's he or Ben Sass, yeah, yeah. Um, and look, he's going to be he's going to be picking candidates in the twenty twenty two primaries and supporting them, and that's fine. 
But let's see how, if he does it in a constructive way by spending more time talking about why he's for somebody rather than doing what he did in Georgia and talking about himself or talking about why he's against somebody else. So I, I want to talk to you about Texas and what, what's going on there. And uh, Powers Restores are some of the homes uh, yesterday and today, but the, the winter is still um, putting people through all types of strife. 325,000 homes and businesses without power still down from 3 million a day earlier. They left more than 320,000 businesses. Uh, also in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, 70,000 power outages persisted. Uh, what are you experiencing? And is, is Texas beginning to come back? And how did you guys get into this place? Well, look, uh, uh, my power went out at 2 a.m. Sunday night, Monday morning. It came on yesterday at about 10 o'clock. So we went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and part of Thursday without power. We have no water because during all of this, a pipe broke in the ceiling and uh, uh, inundated one room. So we turned off the, the power, the, 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 the water at the main, at the street, at the valve. But, uh, you know, we're, we're living with heat, but, but no water. And uh, part of the house shut off until we can get it repaired. But look, we're, we're resilient people. We'll, we'll overcome this. But let's be honest, this, this, there are two big problems here. We're talking about one of them, which is a problem. And we have a, a very large, for, for a big state like Texas, we have a very substantial part of our energy portfolio that is renewables and primarily wind. And wind is variable. Wind can produce, we have about 83,000 megawatts of capacity. We need in a, in a winter, in a cold winter, 57,000 at peak. 30,000 total capacity can come from wind, but that depends on whether the wind's blowing and the turbines are able to move. And what happened is a week ago Monday, 42% of our power on that day, according to the Wall Street Journal, came from wind a, a week ago Monday. By Tuesday of this week, it was 8% both because wind wasn't going well, and second of all, in, in the right places, and second of all, the turbines were not winterized. And that's our bigger problem, is winterization. Because gas, we had gas-powered energy plants that could be ramped up, and coal-fired plants that could be ramped up. But when it came to, like, for example, the gas-powered plants, one of the problems was the transmission facilities from the oil fields and gas fields to, to the collection points and thence to the, to the power plants got frozen up in places. So we got, a, we got a problem of winterization here. And the agency, the sort of private agent company that runs our electric grid called ERCOT, headed by, I just figured this out, we have, a, as a chairman, as a woman from Michigan, most of the members of the board of ERCOT don't even live in Texas. Well, how do we let that happen? Those people, though, have got to be directed under state law to engage in modernization and winterization of our facilities and to allow the power generators to recover the cost of that winterization in their prices, which they don't now allow them to do. But we've, of course, had Robert Francis O'Rourke immediately jump up and say, uh, this is an example of 20 years of Republican control, neglecting the fact that, that we established this whole system when we had a Democrat speaker of the Texas House, a Democratic lieutenant governor running the Texas Senate, and a Republican yeah. governor, and it was done with overwhelming bipartisan agreement. The mistakes in retrospect were made, but I, you know, the idea that this is somehow going to be a partisan talking point for Robert Francis O'Rourke shows how vacuous that guy is. But you're not, and we appreciate that, Carl. And you love your comment in the Wall Street Journal. If anyone can bring the party together, it would be you. You, you know, everybody involved. Carl, thanks so much. You bet. All the best. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The governor being a bully, Governor Cuomo, that is, has been the worst kept secret in Albany. You know, there's a reason why people have rushed to the defense of Ron Kim and have kind of even shared their stories of times when the governor has threatened them. Him being a bully it is nothing new. Uh, and that's a local politician speaking up right now. Uh, let's go to the phones where we have Gracie, WABC. Hey, Gracie. Hi, you're a cutie, number one. Number two, you're absolutely right to pound Cuomo because I have relatives, extended family across the whole United States, and at the beginning of the pandemic, we'll say April, oh, he's wonderful, he's cute, he's this, he's that. I typed in Facebook, and I said, he killed 6,000 patients. No, you don't know what you're talking about. So keep pounding, keep pounding. Hey, so is the federal prosecutor over in Brooklyn and WABC. Ann. And Mitch McConnell's on your mind today? Yes. Hold on one second. Can't okay. really hold on. I'm on a yes. live television show. No, ahead. I'm sorry. I couldn't get to my uh, get off of speakerphone. Anyway, um, I just I heard McConnell say in the beginning before January 6th that he wanted Trump gone and his whole movement. So I believe he's just an opportunist. He worked with Trump because he had to. He did a good job. But I think he and, wants to go back to the old GOP. Right. It's not going to work. Trump was the only one who could have won in 2016. He was about to win in 2020. And Mitch McConnell would have worked with him. He's got to understand they can't win without each other. They need more than Republicans. They lost independence last time. Trump can deliver his base. But together they can deliver elections. Separately, they will fall apart. Chuck Schumer will become more powerful. That will be the problem. Hey, go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to our show anytime, anywhere. And BrianKilmeadeShow.com. It's time to get any of my books, including Thomas Jefferson of the Tripoli Pirates and George Washington's Secret Six. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be uh, joined by Stephen Miller, uh, former chief aide speechwriter and uh, senior aide to President Trump, uh, still in touch and quite outraged about what's happening with this new immigration proposal and the Remain in Mexico policy that worked so brilliantly as we got the cooperation from our neighbors to the south to not only not watch their southern border, but to keep people from coming through our southern border. Now we're going to be sending tens of thousands through. Do you believe this? Whoever, you can't make up a scenario more detrimental to U.S. security during a pandemic than these new policies that President Biden's putting in place. Stephen Miller on that and uh, the fracture in the Republican Party. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He continued to yell and let me know that I haven't seen uh, 
my his rap and his anger was all just part of a ploy in retrospect and in order to pressure me and and scare me into uh, issuing a statement Cuomo threatening people it's kind of the what he does every day he's impeaching Cuomo that's the big movement. The new battle cry in New York has the Emmy Award-winning self-congratulating governor tries to bully his way out of controversy, and it blows up in his face. Does he realize it? This is more than a pothole. It is political peril. Number two. We have a, an agency called ERCOT that r- runs our grid. They drop the ball. It all goes back to our governor, Greg Abbott. He, he, you know, the buck stops with him. Uh, we'll see. That is Sid Miller, Agricultural Commissioner of Texas. The lights are starting to come back in much of the state, but many residents are still extremely dire situations. People are running out of gas. Uh, they're running out of food, and they're running out of heat, and many don't have water to boil. Uh, meanwhile, Ted Cruz went to uh, Cabo or Cancun. He left. He's back. That's a problem. Number one. The inner squabbles are, are, are really less helpful. The reality is you look at Mitch McConnell and the president, they accomplished an enormous amount together. For them to work together would be much more constructive for the party moving forward. No kidding. Chief of Staff Vice President Pence Mark Short speaking out. GOP divided donors and voters forced to pick between Trump and McConnell. Why the Republicans may be the losers unless they can come together. The Dems are loving it. Uh, Stephen Miller joins us now. Stephen, welcome back. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, first off, on the Republican divide, evidently Nikki Haley reached out, tried to patch things up with the president. They pushed back on Mar- with Mar-a-Lago, uh, from Mar-a-Lago. And Mitch McConnell, uh, with that, I thought, ridiculous over-the-top speech about the president after voting not to impeach him. Um, in the big picture, you guys can't be successful divided. Do you agree? Republicans need to learn to be like Democrats and stick together and fight together. That's just a pure tactic statement. Tactically speaking, if you want to fight like Democrats, step one is to be unified. That's why it's so unfortunate that we've seen over the last few months a lot more, um, or some people, I should say, um, in the party um, trying to fire off shots at our, um, at our departing 45th president. And it's not constructive. It's not helpful. And my dearest hope as a Republican former Republican official, as a lifelong conservative activist, is the party can unify ahead of the midterms. So here's Mark Short on the relationship between the vice president and president. Cut three. Despite their differences, uh, the reality is that uh, they've had multiple conversations before departed. The president thanked the vice president for his service, told him he did a great job, and, and they've even had conversations since then, including even this week. So they were tight. Uh, they were loyal to each other. But reportedly, the vice president was extremely upset that the president called him out on stage and his life was threatened. Can you bring us inside the Oval Office? What was it like, Stephen? I don't don't have anything to add to what's already been reported on the subject. My understanding is that the the two of them have had a number of very close, constructive conversations. They remain very good friends and allies and both very proud of what they accomplished together. And um, they're both committed to building a bright future for the Republican Party. And again, I'll just reiterate that that the Republican establishment for decades failed to deliver for Republican voters and American voters in general. I'm not saying that to be vindictive or mean or personal at all. A lot of great public servants came and went to Washington, D.C., but they got outfoxed, outsmarted, um, outworked by Democrats. President Trump, during his time in office against a relentless tide of opposition, 
delivered on one promise after another, week after week, month after month, no matter how many body blows he took along the way. People should be celebrating the Trump legacy, and they should be working on figuring out how we can use that set of issues that appeals to working class voters to win the midterms in the White House in two years and four years. Can you, are you the type, I know he really respects you, but do you think that you're the type of person that could talk to him about that same concept, looking past the intramural fighting? Well, I, 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 I can tell you that the president is relentlessly focused on winning the midterms in 2022 and laying out his vision for the future of the Republican Party. And I think you're going to see at the, um, at the president's remarks at CPAC that I think he's going to lay out a lot of detail about the future vision and direction of the Republican Party. Remember, he got, when he got elected in 2016, and w- or he ran starting in 2015, he created a roadmap for Republicans to win blue-collar working-class voters of all backgrounds, including major inroads with black and Hispanic voters. That roadmap remains the future for the GOP, being the working-class party. Let the Democrats be the donor-class party. That's still the future of our party. That covers every issue, prescription drugs, child care, education, border security, homeland security, China policy, trade policy, manufacturing policy, the whole set of issues. So uh, you guys did an autopsy. Tony Fabrizio did uh, a Trump uh, pollster. And it said Trump got 75 million votes, most by a a sitting president, not enough, uh, reportedly. So it said, this is what he concluded, that he lost largely to a massive swing among independents and the erosion among Republicans. It helped explain how the GOP gained a dozen seats in the House, even as Trump became the first president to lose re-election since uh, H.W., Bush 41. Many people think he was very strong. uh, We're shocked that he lost to an unknown like uh, Bill Clinton. So what do you do to get that back? What, and what could the president do to get that back? Well, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't read the, the memo or seen it, actually, and looked at the underlying data, so I can't really comment intelligently on that analysis. What I can say is that for the future of the Republican Party, it's essential that we develop an antidote to the information control that the Democratic Party has that is very effective at – influencing election outcomes. And so what I mean by that is that while a lot of people can get informed listening to shows on radio, watching their favorite programming on Fox News, etc., there's a huge number of Americans that are getting their information from just, say, Facebook, Twitter, um, broadcast news, etc. Until Republicans are able to figure out an antidote to that, we're going to have a serious problem because A lot of Americans, I mean, one of the issues we'll be talking about today, Brian Wright, which is border security as an example, a lot of Americans, the only thing they're ever going to find out on border security is what they're getting on ABC or CBS News. That's a huge structural disadvantage for Republicans. And so we have to come up with a way that when we're talking about issues, we're penetrating and reaching into independent and swing voters who are maybe only casual uh, observers of cable news, and they need to find out how our agenda – is benefiting working people the most. Right, and you got that in the Rio Grande Valley where Hispanic voters went to Trump in Texas, which they had never done before right. because they saw what's happening at the border. So President Trump, Biden laid out his immigration plan, and it is horrific. 
Let's come to the principles. Earn pathway to citizenship for dreamers. We heard about that. Five-year pathway to legal status green card for individuals who pass background checks, pay taxes, fulfill other requirements. Excluding, uh, excludes migrants who arrived after January 1st, 2020. Invested technology and infrastructure. That's as much as they would do. But basically they're saying that if, you've been, if you're one of the 11 million, and it's more they say like 20 million, it's not 11 million, that are here illegally, you'll have an eight-year pathway to citizenship. And what are they re- recommending at the border? No more remain in Mexico. Everyone camping out there is now allowed to come in. This is insane. No country on the face of this earth, and I would indeed suggest in recorded history, has attempted anything like what Joe Biden and his aides are attempting over the last four weeks. So two things are happening at the same time. One is that using the executive branch, they are systematically dismantling the secure border they inherited. One of President Trump's singular greatest achievements was that he secured the southern border of the United States with a series of deeply effective reforms and tools and historic partnerships with our friends in Latin America. So when we left office, we had a fully secure border, which had never been done before in American history. One of President Trump's greatest achievements, as you mentioned, that's being dismantled. They're now taking illegal aliens that aren't in our country and then admitting them into our country, which no one in human history, to the best of my knowledge, has ever attempted, where you apprehend the immigrant, you take them somewhere else, and then you bring them back in. It's so stupid. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. And so while that's being done, which, again, it, it really is one of the stupidest things I think anyone's ever heard of. While that's being done, then they're sending a bill to Congress legislatively to permanently erase any concept of national borders. This proposal – see, if you dig deeper into it, and I've been reading the bill, about 350 pages, and these bills are written by immigration activists who understand exactly how to break the system because – that's their whole life's work. That's their whole fo- focus is how to facilitate legal immigration. So just to re- rattle off a couple quick examples for your audience. Well, you, well so, I want you to hear what Bob Menendez, Menendez said, and then I'll let you finish up yeah. on what he said. Maybe he'll help you. Cut 33. Time and time again, we have compromised too much and capitulated too quickly to fringe voices who have refused to accept the humanity and contributions of immigrants to our country, From John Boehner to white nationalists like Steve King and Jeff Sessions to a manipulative manipulative madman named Donald Trump, there will always be those who stand against immigrants. I didn't know Jeff Sessions, a man you used to work for, is a white supremacist? Really? A white nationalist? Really? Steve King, white? Unbelievable. Your thoughts? Menendez is guilty of a egregious slander, and he's using that slander to advance a policy that will badly hurt a lot of working people in this country and badly hurt a lot of immigrants in this country, including in those border counties in Texas who will be bearing the brunt of this crazy plan. And just to give you a couple quick examples, this plan gives work permits immediately, not down the road, immediately to every illegal alien who applies right away. As soon as you send in the application, you get work authorized. So that means overnight, millions of illegal immigrants will be able to compete for jobs against people living here today, including immigrants who came here the right way and are living here lawfully. This bill speeds up the delivery of free health care to illegal immigrants who apply for legal status under the bill. Even before they're granted citizenship, they'll have access to free health care through the Medicaid program. Again, that's going to deplete resources that low-income Americans are currently depending upon 
including people who are former immigrants who've naturalized and become citizens and are entitled to those benefits. This legislation also, which is breathtaking, provides amnesty to convicted criminals. Yes, you heard that right. People who have been convicted, who have been tried and sentenced, will be eligible for amnesty for a wide range of crimes. And even those convicted of very serious, violent crimes can get amnesty as long as they can get a waiver from the federal government on the basis of promoting family unity. One other point I'll make about this legislation is that it allows people who've been previously deported, a theme here, right, to come back into the country to get citizenship. Do you believe no that? No country in human history that. has ever thought of such an idea. They're going to mail out applications to people deported under the Trump administration to get readmitted and put on a fast track now, of citizenship. Steve, this is outrageous, but tell me the practicality of it. You need six. This is nothing to do with reconciliation. This is nothing to do with taxes. So you need 60 votes. No Republican's going to go along with this, right? But don't, don't discount the possibility of kabuki theater. This is a very important point for your audience. Here's how this usually works. They'll pass the bill out of the House on the slimmest of margins because Nancy Pelosi will be able to whip everybody into line. Even if it means they're going to lose their seats in two years, they want this big structural change, right? Just like they did with Obamacare, this is even bigger than that, quite a bit bigger than that. Then it goes to the Senate. What they'll do is they'll take some, some token, fake, made-up border security provision They won't do anything, won't mean anything, but it'll do a big rollout and they'll say, oh, we've got this huge border security provision and we've compromised with, you know, fill in the blank in the name of a more liberal Republican senator and we forged a deal. And so they're going to take this core, this, this, this horrendous core, and add some fake shiny object to it and pass it into law. Or what they'll try to do is then pass it into law. So we need to be aware of the fact that this bill is irredeemable. It doesn't matter what you add to it. At its core, it is irredeemable because it gives every single illegal alien in the country today citizenship, yep. and it allows people who have already been deported to come back in and get citizenship. And on top of everything else, it makes it virtually impossible to remove people in the future. It even gives free illegal aliens at at taxpayer right. expense. And, and Stephen, unfortunately, I'm out of time. It's horrific. I don't know any American that would want this unless you don't like America. I don't mean to overstate it, but I don't, it, it just, this is something Russia would ask us to do to diminish our possibilities and promise. Uh, thanks so much for reading the 350 pages, Stephen. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Uh, back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go, uh, try to get some calls in one 408 7669 Great talking to uh, Stephen Miller. Brings us inside to tapping on the GOP side and the horrific uh, immigration proposal that these, uh, that these Democrats are putting out. It is beyond atrocious. Uh, let's go out to Joel listening on WABC. Hey, Joel. Hi, uh, Brian. 
There are a couple of points regarding immigration, uh, illegals, yeah. etc. Nobody brings up in the news media is that Biden, if he wants to raise the uh, minimum wage to 15, it's impracticable in view of the fact that he's going to open the floodgates. They'll come for two, three dollars an hour, you know, and undercut the fifteen dollar quite easily. Another point I have regarding vetting these people on the border who are seeking political asylum: what happens if they come upon uh, criminals, etc., who have uh, rec- stacks of records? Uh, you know, absolutely. ICE has got Brit- Joe. Them? Good Where point. ICE has got a ton of ton of restrictions now. Uh, they'll have to let a lot go. It, they are really defanged. Uh, Gerard, minute left, WRCN. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Uh, first of all, I, do, I, um, I disagree with everything Carl Rove said. And there's a political war coming from the establishment to the Trumpers. And if you think I would vote for Bush, Romney-ish, McCain's, you're out of your mind. This Trump is going to be forever. We're going to lose the next couple, four years. I get it. But we're never going back to the establishment. Well, let's just, you can't lose two years. The country will be gone if you lose the midterms. So you like Cotton, Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Christy Nome, uh, Rubio. Who do you like besides the president? I would take Ron, I, would, I would take Rubio. I would take the, uh, the governor of Florida. Absolutely. DeSantis. Yep. Yeah, Governor DeSantis. Absolutely. And he is really hot right now, too. People really liking him. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, but that's classic Andrew Cuomo. Um, A lot of people in New York State have received those phone calls. Uh, You know, the bullying is nothing new. Um, I believe Ron Kim, and it's very, very sad. No public servant, no person who's uh, telling the truth should be treated that way. Um, But yeah, the the threats, the, the belittling... Uh, the demand that someone change their statement right that moment uh, many, many times. I've heard that, and I know a lot of other people in this state have heard that. And that is Mayor de Blasio coming off as the voice of reason. I'm not buying it, but he is accurate. The bullying has been legendary, but they said, you know, that's only because Republicans don't like him playing politics. What's most significant about the bullying from the governor of New York, who's lauded by uh, Robert De Niro, uh, as well as other celebrities like uh, Ellen DeGeneres, well, suddenly people are realizing the best-selling author and Emmy Award winner uh, is is a terrible leader. He's arrogant. He's unable to see his failties. He's everything you don't want in a coach and a boss, and let alone a governor and a would-be presidential candidate. But now we know that he's come out and flat-out called out multiple times over the weekend. He only picked up once. Congressman, excuse me, State Assemblyman Ron Kim, uh, getting threatening phone calls saying, well, what's going on with your nail salons? I heard you're doing pay-for-play. Maybe we're going to find out what a bad person you are. Uh, incredible. But maybe not uh, so strange to Seth Barron. Uh, Seth has got a brand-new book uh, about, uh, about New York coming out, and I just had it right here, and I'm going to give a proper introduction. If anyone knows the inner workings of New York, it is Seth. He's a writer and managing editor 
uh, of major newspapers, and also his book coming out is great, Last Days of New York. Seth, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Brian. It's great to be on. All right, so Seth, when you hear about Mayor de Blasio and you hear Assemblyman Kim come out and talk about governor, the governor's threats, are they lying? Um, well, you know, listening to these two who are, you know, kind of uh, – you know, maybe a, a little truth wanting themselves. You have to stick your tongue in your cheek. But no, they're not lying. Uh, to, I'm, uh, Governor Cuomo is, is well known as, as a bully, as a pretty brutal, savage operator politically. Uh, so, sure. I mean, he's, he's well known for that. He, he does uh, throw his weight around, which he's been allowed to do. And, you know, the New York political system sort of favors that being a one party state. So now we're looking at a federal prosecutor looking into his handling of the nursing homes and the fact that he did he obstruct justice when the Department of Justice under Trump asked for the stats on this and he didn't give it to him. Now, instead of 8000, there are 15000 dead and they just had a watchdog group. It's on FoxNews.com now come out and say a thousand additional deaths uh, during the coronavirus pandemic, despite the denials, can be attributed to Cuomo's policies in March telling infected patients to go back to nursing homes rather than stay in hospitals or going elsewhere. Uh, This thing is getting bigger, Seth, or are you under the belief that it's not going to get much bigger because not everyone is playing, uh, going for the facts here? Um, Look, I I think that this is one of those cases where the cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, You know, yes, Cuomo ordered the nursing homes to take the patients. But did he really, you know, can we really accuse him of killing people? Well, that's that's like saying Trump is is responsible for the entire pandemic. I mean, it's a little it goes a little too far. The problem is that Cuomo just totally besotted by all this love he was receiving from the media and from everybody with his Emmy and his book. He believes his own press too much and he just cannot admit he didn't want to admit that anything he did maybe wasn't the best thing to do. So then he got into this this hole, dug himself a hole of, you know, denial and, and defense when if he'd just been come clean about it, it wouldn't, you know, I mean, it's obviously terrible. All these people died, but he's got a lot of political capital. I don't know why he, he's blowing it in this way. Well, we, we don't know why either. Here's his explanation Wednesday to the to the growing firestorm. This is a kind of blatant deception. We followed the CDC and CMS. So if you want to say it was wrong, then you have to say Trump was wrong in the CDC and CMS. My health experts don't believe it was wrong. And we've gone through all the facts uh, several times. If we did believe it was wrong, then we would say we believed it was wrong and we made a mistake. Here is... When I asked Seema Verma this, because he said he was following CDC guidelines, she was running Medicare and Medicaid and was with the CDC when they came up with these guidelines in, in a very perilous time, which we're still in. Let's listen. The issue that the governor is bringing up, which I disagree with, is that, you know, somehow federal guidance said that you should put people who are COVID positive in a nursing home. What we say is that, yes, a nursing home will have COVID positive people in the nursing home. And if somebody's coming out from a hospital, they can if they are prepared 
to handle the unique needs of that patient. So the guidelines require them to isolate the patient. It has to make sure that they're, they're appropriately staffed. Anytime you discharge a patient from the hospital, it is the responsibility of the hospital to make sure that the patient is going to be safe when they discharge them, so if they're going home or if they're going to a nursing home. So it, they weren't prepared to take the patients back. They had a ship and they had the Javits Center and they put them back. So did other governors. Uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey did something similar. And the cost was horrific. It was cataclysmic. Look, it's true. And Cuomo is, 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 is lying if, he, if he's going to say that nursing homes were prepared or should have been prepared. We're talking about, you know, very humble sort of facilities that don't have negative pressure rooms and the staffing to deal with isolating sick, you know, contagious people. He knew what was – I mean, he knew or should have known what could happen. The point is he didn't want the hospitals to be overrun. Look, he took a gamble. He took a – he made a choice, and it turned out to be the wrong choice. Um, He didn't necessarily know all that at the time. Look, I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy. He's a a vicious liar. He's a bully, and he's an egotist. So, you know, he deserves what he's getting. Uh, But unfortunately, I don't think that the federal investigators are really going to come up with much. And I think he's probably going to get through this. Um, You know, most of the uh, legislators in New York State, they owe him a lot and uh, they're on his team. They don't they're not going to they're not going to go after him. Melissa DeRosa, that phone call they got out of explaining the reason why we didn't come forward with the right numbers is because we were frozen in place that President Trump was going to come after us with tweets. This is what really blew this thing up and put some context behind the so-called allegations. He says it was all rumor and innuendo. When you have our own Melissa DeRosa coming out, the personal, the, the governor's top aide saying exactly what everyone else was saying, only she thought she was talking to solid Democrats. This guy, Assemblyman Kim, said, wait a second, don't worry about apologizing to us for difficult political roads. You should apologize to those families. And that was the beginning of the intimidation. What bothers me, Seth, is he thinks he can come up and just berate people and, uh, and he evidently called multiple times over the weekend demanding he pick up the phone. Uh, I mean, yeah. Who runs, and, and what is he, it? He wanted uh, Ron Kim to write a letter saying that, no, no, you did tell, tell us about why you couldn't give us the data. Uh, I mean, that's more like obstruction of justice, suborning perjury. I mean, I guess. I mean, it, that's the thing. It's like the cover-up becomes worse than what happened originally. So Zucker, the, the health inspector, he, he might be uh, paying the price for this. But you remember, tell everybody out there, and we're national, about the Buffalo Project. What was that about? The Buffalo Project was uh, Cuomo's brilliant idea that he was going to turn Buffalo, New York, of all places, which, you know, is the snowiest place in America virtually. He was going to turn it into a, a uh, to solar city. This was going to be the, the hub of solar, uh, solar cell production. Uh, in the country. And it just, you know, it turned out wasting close to a billion dollars, the Buffalo billion. Uh, there was a lot of insider dealings, slush, bribes, and it just turned out to be a huge waste. Um, Andrew Cuomo has failed New upstate New York, which is now, you know, essentially an extension of like the poorest parts of Appalachia. Um, you know, he, he's wasted money on economic development funds that have just gone nowhere. Uh, he, he wanted to turn Syracuse into a film hub. He, he does all kinds of um, basically pork projects to upstate that 
wind up wasting an enormous amount of money. Uh, it's just been a complete disaster for, for, for New York. Uh, he's, get, he's getting bailed out by about $50 billion if this rescue package passes. I'll add something else to that. Remember the, the impact studies on the environment when it came to fracking, and they both passed. They said there would not be a significant impact. Fracking would not have a significant impact on the environment. And he still decided not to do it. What would fracking have meant to upstate New York? All you have to do is look at Pennsylvania. You look at Pennsylvania, and then you cross the border into New York, and it is so depressing. It's the worst thing. I mean, I take the bus up there. And you just can't believe your eyes when you're driving around the, the, the southern tier of New York. It's so depressing and so just it's falling apart. And fracking would have meant jobs, good energy. I mean, it, Cuomo, look, whatever the guy gets, he's got coming to him. I'm not going to cry any tears. Unfortunately, I don't think anything's going to happen. Wow. Uh, here's Ron Kim, cut 19. Governor allowed his top donors to dictate policies, writing business-friendly policies like legal immunity for nursing homes that we talked about, and he orders the state government to cover up life and death information and took away our ability, the lawmakers, our ability to legislate and change the outcome of this pandemic. Because those legislatures gave him emergency powers. Is Ron Kim wrong? Ron Kim isn't totally wrong, but... I didn't hear him saying anything about it at the time. Let's put it that way. Um, was he, did they have all the information? Maybe, maybe not. Look, there was very partial information coming out in March. Uh, listen, you know, I, I, I hate to get on Ron Kim's side and say that he's right. But, yeah, he, he's right here. Um, Cuomo, you know, Cuomo did, did, did the state wrong, I would say. Seth, uh, Seth Barron's with us now. If anyone knows New York, he does. His book is excellent. Um, he was kind enough to give me an advanced copy, um, and it is uh, really tells us what happened to uh, to New York. The last days of New York is the name of it, so you could go pre-order it now. But Seth, looking at the big picture, where is the Republican Party to get? Where's the next Pataki? Not that he was a legend, like you know that he was uh, Al Smith or anybody else, but they, he was a viable candidate that won an election and beat Cuomo's dad. Where's the Republican Party right now? They have an opportunity. Look, it would be great if the Republican Party could get itself together and uh, oppose the machine that's just dominating and destroying New York. But I feel like we're kind of maybe just a step behind California in this, where the Democrats have gotten so much momentum and have uh, the left wing is just rolling and uh, it, it's unclear at this point that I, I think a lot of people have left the state. People who, who couldn't stand it anymore have gotten out. And so you're left with the, the people who can tolerate high taxes, dysfunctional, corrupt government, high crime, uh, and, you know, woke politics infecting everything. So, you know, you wind up with this, this, this terrible dynamic where – the only people, you know, the, basically the, the elected officials have chosen their voters by forcing out the ones who don't like them. I've never heard uh, it so put like that. That is a great, is a great point. The elected officials have chosen the voters, the ones that stayed. Unbelievable. Uh, Seth, thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're going to come back with more to know in just a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to find out if indeed we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Here we go. Uh, The sad passing of Rush Limbaugh has left a lasting legacy, also left some money. Uh, In terms of scholarship for kids of fallen police and military, uh, we know this for a fact now. It is now out. The president executive director of the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation announces 35. They give uh, $35,000 scholarships to children who lost a parent serving the Marines or or in law enforcement. Now they got Rush Limbaugh to give 12 to 20 families annually uh, the same $35,000 award. That is pretty cool. Next, Facebook faces a boycott. Keep an eye on this story. It's huge. Uh, of in all of Australia, Facebook is facing a boycott campaign after its controversial move to ban users' access to news in Australia amid a pay dispute. Get this: we don't want to make the news and have Facebook carry it and not pay for it. Fox is fighting against that. News Corp is fighting against that, and now the whole country of Australia is fighting against it. I am pulling for Australia. That's where my money is. Next. NASA Perseverance rover successfully lands on Mars. This is unbelievable. I saw the mock-up, the animation. It is amazing. It's even got a drone on it. Uh, We have never seen anything like that, and what they're going to give is going to be astounding. Here are the seven minutes of terror, they call it, as they waited to see if they had the technology to put this thing on the planet at the place they needed. Listen. Current velocity is 83 meters per second at about 2.6 kilometers from the surface of Mars. We have confirmation that the back shell has separated. We are currently performing the divert maneuver. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. The landing is one of the most pivotal moments for NASA ever. We will now know on the cusp of discovering and sharpening our pencils, so to speak, to rewrite the textbooks, according to a NASA administrator. The Mars 2020 Perseverance mission embodies our nation's spirit. Uh, the most technologically advanced robot NASA has sent to date, traveling 293 miles to reach Mars over the course of more than six months after launching uh, from a Alliance Atlas rocket at Cape Canaveral. That's back on July 30th. The mission will help prepare the legacy for future human exploration. We're going to give you more details on this. It even landed with a drone. Pretty amazing. Next, the Philadelphia Eagles blockbuster deal agreed to trade quarterback Carson Wentz, once their future, 28 years old, to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round pick and conditional 2022 second-round pick. He Wentz plans to play at least 75% of the Colts' offensive snaps for the 2022 conditional pick to be a first-rounder. This is a win. But that's a lot of money that's going to be taking up a lot of cap room. I hear Carson Wentz is a great guy. He has not performed well over the last few years. How could a franchise quarterback and a franchise like Philadelphia be so wrong to have to realize they got to just suck it up, lick their wounds, and get rid of this guy to get better? It's amazing. Next. Go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, you know who's trending? Nick Foles. They said once this uh, deal was announced, Nick Foles is now trending. Well, interesting, you know, but they do have a young quarterback there. We'll see if Foles is actually one to brought in the Super Bowl. Next, Serena Williams, very emotional after losing in the Australian Open Finals, stopping her from pulling off the all-time 40th, uh, her all-time record of Grand Slam victories. Listen. I don't know. If I, if I ever say farewell, I wouldn't tell anyone. So, Considering how well you've played to get to this stage, what do you feel 
cause that? Or was it just one of those bad days at the office? Uh, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Naomi Osaka beat her again, 6364, but she's 39 years old, coming off uh, having a child and everything else. She's got huge businesses. You wonder how long she's going to play. She already defied all logic. And next, Walmart to hike wages for 425,000 workers above $15 an hour. Walmart's been thriving in this environment, and they raised down the hourly wage from 11 to 15. That's the way it should be done. The market reflects it or you lose great workers. You made a great profit. Give it to the people that made it possible. That's 1.5 million. Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.